financial bondage that's been holding you back? Are you ready to take charge of your finances to cut your mortgage payment in half while reducing your taxes significantly? If yes, then this podcast is for you. Fiscal Fitness and Freedom can pay off the national debt in less than 10 years. So from humble beginnings of just about $500, Scott built a billion-dollar mortgage company. So here's your host, Scott Smith. Hi, everybody. Welcome to Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. We have a guest with us, Courtney Phillips. Hi, thank you so much for having me. I'm so glad you would agree to join us. And you have quite the background, and I'm going to let you actually tell your own story. And a lot of the focus will be on if the Financial Freedom Act was passed, how would that impact the lives of countless millions of people around the country, both in terms of mental health, health, and just general well-being? So some of you tuning in may not even know what the Financial Freedom Act is. So I'm going to give you the one-minute version, which is... My background working with people on Wall Street, I found that the monetary economy, that's when you buy and sell financial assets, that generates trades, payments. Well, the volume of all that money being traded every year tops 9,000 trillion, not 9 trillion, 9,000 trillion dollars. Put that in perspective, we earn around 23 trillion. Okay, we earn 23, so we tax ourselves to no end. Meanwhile, there's this huge world out there generating 9,000 trillions. We don't touch it. So if we taxed it at a quarter of a percent, just a quarter of a percent, and I've had financial people on who say, yeah, we could do that. That means you wouldn't have to pay income taxes anymore or sales tax, or if you own a home, property taxes. And we generate so much money that way. Every adult American citizen could receive an extra check each month of $2,000. 24000 a year, free health care, free mental health care, free college, all of these things. And we'd still have a surplus of many trillions of dollars. So this is highly feasible. So I want to turn it over to you. And why don't you give us a little bit about your background? Absolutely. First of all, Courtney Phillips and my background, I'm a mental health advocate and behavioral health advocate. So that includes substance use disorder, a national advocate for NAMI, the National Alliance for Mental Illness. Mm -hmm. And I've also spent most of my career in public health, mainly in awareness. So public relations and media relations type work. Right now, I work as a federal consultant doing that for a national health agency for the federal government. Okay. All right. And so you're expressing, Courtney, you're expressing your opinions and background. You're not representing the U.S. government. We'll make that clear for everybody who's watching. So, Courtney, maybe give us a little about your background, like what in your childhood got you so interested in mental health? Absolutely. And that is 100% what has angled my life and my advocacy and my career. I actually lost my father to substance use disorder and PTSD. He was a police officer. And as many people know, that is a very hard road to go down. And he struggled very much so with that and turned to substances to cope rather than getting the help that he could get through the traditional means. One of the things that I was talking to you about and why we felt like this was a good forum to share that is 
his main reason for going that way is he didn't feel like he had the funds and the financial means to get the help that he needed. There's obviously the other pieces of the stigma associated with being that kind of strong man mentality. And that's something that we talk about in a lot of main forums. But realistically, when you're a police officer and a single income taking care of your family, you don't really think like realistically have the means to do that, to go and get the care from a therapist or from a psychiatrist. And so you kind of just reach for what's right there in front of you. Right. And so that's kind of been my biggest path. I spent a lot of time over the last five years going to police departments, going to Mm. fire departments and just sharing my story and talking to them about like the next people, those first people around them and how they should get the care that they need and that it's out there and it's available. So that gives them from a personal perspective, a little different perspective on things. Mm -hmm. And you find that helps them to realize, yes, I can actually reach out for this help, right? It gives them the perspective that they're not the, it's not just affecting them. That I'm sitting here at almost 40 years old and the impacts that my dad had didn't just affect him in that one moment, that it's affecting me, you know, 30 years later. Yes, that's a very good point. Very good point. And so if, so first of all, let's say if your dad had had that extra basic income coming in and he had that free health care, that'd make a difference, wouldn't it, in his mind? I, I mean, I think 100%. I think that would have been the first barrier. The mm-hmm. barriers to care were the stigma and the financial aspects, right? Mm-hmm. So then that's the piece that we've been working with for all of these years is getting mm-hmm. over that stigma battle. But we know that about a fourth of Americans with mental illness can't access care because of either insurance or their ability to pay. And that can include copay, but access mm-hmm. to care. So if they had free basic care, then that cuts down on a fourth of people. That's a fourth of the people out with there. mental illness aren't getting care. Because of that, right? Mm-hmm. There. That's in 2022. That's in 2022. And mm-hmm. I mean, it just seems it's only going to get, it's only getting worse, you know, because healthcare is getting higher. There's an enormous ripple effect of that throughout the rest of society. That's a large number of people. Do you have a number on that? I mean, it's millions, right? I don't have it on the top of my head, but yes. It's in the millions. It's in the mm-hmm. many millions. And I think also, a lot of people have mental health issues and they, they skirt underneath the radar. They're not even recognized. So we're talking about a lot of people that, and they have parents, they have children, they have friends, that ripple effect mm-hmm. is on tremendously. Okay. What and that you- also, and that goes into the conversation that we were having about how it impacts society as a whole and the impacts yeah. of mental illness on society because it takes you out of the workforce. Like, what's your perspective? Well, well, so I actually was doing just a little bit of research on this, and they mm-hmm. actually did, the NIH did a study following COVID, and they found, and I I, I have notes. <laughs> okay. <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember statistics, obviously, you asked me for a number, and here I am. But they actually know that they have, the World Economic Forum came out with, by 2030, half mm-hmm. the global economic burden is going to be based on mental health disorders. And it's based on loss of productivity, cost of insurance payments, and unemployment. Wow. Wow. Yeah. When you look at economics, efficiency is a big deal. You know, Mm -hmm. efficiency is the difference between us and cavemen. We'll be right. 
right? It's like, it's, and a lot of things contributed to that efficiency, technology, society, education, but mental health does too. And I, I mean, well, like I, all I have to do is look back on my own life at different times when I was struggling with things, mm -hmm. wasn't productive, no. you know, and you backslide a lot. And so I can believe that. That's a really well, and employers don't treat it like they say no. they do, and they say you get a mental health day. But at the end of the day, if you had COVID or you had the flu, they were 100% are going to support you staying home. But if you have severe depression, that phone call doesn't come in the same way. Yes, that's absolutely true. I, for, for the listeners out there, I don't know if anyone can find this if it's on Amazon, but there was a book called Erewhon, which was nowhere backwards, I think. And it was written maybe in the 40s or 50s. And this author, I read this book in middle school, it changed my life. The author flipped everything. And the author had a story in which if somebody had a heart attack or they broke their arm or something, that was treated like we treat mental health issues. And these people were given no mercy, but broken heart we're going to go put them in jail, hard labor. But we know a lot of people who have heart attacks. When you put them in jail for hard labor, they go have another heart attack. Now, right. we look at that and we just like, what? That's so backwards. But the point right. the author was making is we're doing the same thing in mental health. Exactly. Point. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, when you read through that little story and you just see the absurdity of things and you flip it and then you begin to think, oh, wow. And then, of course, I was in middle school. Life comes on and I leave mm -hmm. I live life. And oh, my God, does it have its ups and downs? And I'd always think right. back on that. And I think this is when I need help. We just don't have help. That's a good point. So that was the what did that statistic come from? I think that bears repeating, Courtney. And that came from the World Economic Forum. They projected that by 2030, mental health disorders will account for one half of the global economic burden, and that will be $6 trillion. Okay. So that's another argument of why to spend that money, because you certainly <laughs> regain something. Right. It too. Exactly. Okay. 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 So in the clientele that you have, firefighters, police force, that's, you don't take those jobs to get rich quick. You know, and you're right, many are single parents. And if you look at if they had basic income, free health care, and the free college piece for, you know, upward mobility within jobs is a lot of times if you go and get an additional degree, you do get paid more. But how how do you do it? You know, would that make a significant difference to the police and fire workforces out there if we had those additional benefits in your mind? I think I think it would it would make a big difference, but I think that there would also have to be an educational piece. It's the same as what they've been doing with the military and bringing up the transitional pieces with veterans. They have to they have to bring in that educational piece and start working on that stigma. There's still there's a strong percentage of police departments that have very high suicide rates. And they're just it's that resilience that's pushed through that strong archetype that is still existing. Yeah. So education is as important. Yeah. I say that a lot too. It's like, yeah, this is, you know, not the theme on the podcast, but comes from my heart. It's like, yeah, I have this little formula that could unlock a lot more money for the budget and people, but just more money all by itself, that can actually exacerbate problems. And so you really do have to 
have that other human element in there. Mm -hmm. Well, and one of the big problems with access to care is also we have a big workforce issue with mental health professionals. There's about only about 40% of people have access across most states to care with that because people aren't going into the fields right now. So that's mm -hmm. one of the big things is getting people to be interested in being mental health clinicians, mm -hmm. whether it be therapists, social workers, psychiatrists, whatever the field be, it's, there's a huge workforce shortage. So that mm -hmm. into uh, maybe mm -hmm. whether it be incentivizing them, increasing like their, the role, like value, like obviously we know social workers aren't paid that well, mm -hmm. work-life balance, like whatever it is to try to help with that. We do definitely see increases in the burnout rate in that field at crisis centers and with people that are working in the severe mental health disorders so, or with severe mental health disorders. So that's definitely something that would help, I do believe. That's both in healthcare and mental health. Yeah. I, I know my wife is working with the state of Colorado and she looks at the data for jobs that they have shortages on and she's you know, that data supports what you're saying. And so that's a huge issue for them is how do we bring more people into that field? Mm -hmm. And I do, you know, there's this little catch 22, you know, all small businesses see it. They wish they could pay their employees more, but they don't have the budget to do it. And part of what I see the Financial Freedom Act about is not just that basic income, which allows you to have a little higher standard of living at whatever job you chose. So if you make that choice to go into mental health and you realize you won't make as much money as in that area, it helps you there, but also earned income credit. Mm -hmm. and, and the earned income credit is for jobs that are paying under you know some figure out there. You get an additional credit for that. Mm -hmm. And so that allows an agency or an employer to be able to hire somebody at that same price they've been hiring them but the employee actually benefits with those earned income credits. So those types of things, I think, are just going to have to be part of the landscape going forward in developing a civilization <laughs> and understanding where our collective needs are and how to, how to properly fund that. What do you think the people who do go into mental health, what's their primary motivator? I mean, what would, how would you profile those people? And if somebody's listening to this, like, what would be the benefit of them going in to become a mental health worker? What do you get out of that? I think the most that I've seen from the people that I speak with is that they have some kind of intrinsic motivation similar to mine, whether it be a lived experience or just something that's like propelling them to help people. Because mm -hmm. I that's what I find. It's like something that makes you want to put your feet on the ground every day and give back. Mm -hmm. And there's even people like, that I meet that have gotten to a point where they're more in an administrative role or policy role. They're now, they were originally clinicians and they're, they found their way into a leadership role, but they still want to affect change and give back. Yeah. They can miss doing that. Mm -hmm. Yeah. We, I've seen that in the educational system where somebody was a teacher and they've moved into, you know, the admin types of positions and they, they miss it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I have a, friend of mine who was a Shakespeare professor. He went on to become the top, the head of a university, major university. And when he got, and I won't name the university because he didn't give me permission to tell this story, but <laughs> about four years before he was going to have forced retirement, we talked on the phone and he said, 
all my colleagues think I'm crazy. I want to go back to teaching Shakespeare the last four years of my career. And they're like, what a step down, you know? And I'm like, no, I mean, I think I'm doing good. And I feel like I'm not doing any good in administration. And and I said, you should go back and teach. (laughs) I said, the things you inspired in me as a teacher, Mm -hmm. because you were a teacher. And so I do, it's just this thing in all these fields. And it's, again, I think a lot of it is because we get the pay structure wrong, you know, right. In admin and those different things, you make so much more money, but that's money you're taking out of the pockets of the actual employees who are on the mm-hmm. front line doing it. And if we can make we can make organizations less top heavy, it does well. So right. again, I'll tell another story along those lines, and I won't name the company, <laughs> but a major automobile manufacturer in the 2008 crisis when they were having to pair everybody back mid-manager that I personally know, they were going to fire all these line workers and not touch any of the administration. And he said, wait a minute, they're the ones with the bigger salaries. These guys are actually producing the cars. And he convinced upper management, let's fire in the admin range only and keep the line workers. And boy, did the bottom line reflect a good, that was a good decision. So it is true that the people on the feet, with their feet on the ground, could be paid more. We could make less happy and we're going to be better. We're going to have happier people because they're actually productive doing real things. Right. I like that. I mean, that definitely makes sense when you think about, well, like the mental health professionals, but also when you talk about teachers, it's almost like you're penalized for giving back. Wanting to continue to be a teacher. You're penalized. That's absolutely Mm -hmm. right. We've got a lot of things backwards in our economic view of compensation. All right. Courtney, thank you for coming on and maybe think about some of this. We do another episode somewhere down the line and because I'm all about ripple effect and how this impacts the reality of the world out there. I think you've given us an insight into something people, I think people are almost afraid to think of mental health. And I think it's because we all know we do struggle with it. Everybody. Absolutely. Yeah. And so Listeners out there, if you are in the armed forces or police forces, you deserve the help. It's not a stigma. You really do deserve it. Right. Thank you. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you on a future episode. Bye-bye. So that's it for today's episode of Fiscal Fitness and Freedom. Head on over to iTunes or wherever you listen and subscribe to the show. One lucky listener every single week who posts a review on iTunes will win a chance at a grand prize drawing to win a $25,000 value. Grand prize drawing for a private VIP mentoring session with Scott Smith himself. Be sure to head on over to fiscalfitnessandfreedom.com and pick up a copy of Scott's blueprint to discovering your own unique formula to personal success. And join us on the next episode. 